0: psalm number nine. I'll just give you a little bit of background and context of where we are in the Psalter. This is a psalm we're looking at this evening which was written by Moses, that hero of the Old Testament, who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt through the desert and to the edge of the promised land. The psalm sits in the fourth book of the Psalter. It's probably sung as part of corporate worship at the start of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a festival where God's people remembered his faithfulness to them and their need of him during their wandering years in the desert. So Psalm 90 is where we are this evening. If you don't have a Bible to hand, don't worry. I'm going to read the psalm for us. Then I'll pray, and then we'll have a think about what God is saying to us through his word. A prayer of Moses, the man of God, The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of our strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father God, we thank you for this portion of your word. And we thank you that every time your word is opened, Lord, you speak through it. And we pray tonight, Lord, that you would give us hearts, minds and wills that are ready to receive from you and be shaped by you. Help us with that this evening, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm quite sure that as I open with an illustration from the period drama, that's a period drama, not a soap, Downton Abbey, I may run the risk of losing about 30% of you, but do bear with me. I wonder what you were feeling at 10.45pm on Christmas Day as the credits rolled onto the screen at the close of the final Downton season ever. Some of you, I'm sure, were probably quite relieved, Others, perhaps, were snoozing, recovering from too much turkey, pudding and cake. Some, though, like me, may have felt a great sense of satisfaction as all these intricate plot lines were neatly pulled together and tied up. Even Edith, even Edith was happy. Now, this season brought big changes to the great house as the realities of time caught up with a family used to living in a way that was increasingly suited to the past. The movement of time, which is a theme of the whole Downton Abbey series, the movement of time dictated that a large staff could no longer be maintained. It was simply not done or affordable. Other changes too. Women could work. They could drive. They could even, if they chose, marry down. A lady's maid could have her child in her lady's bedroom, unthinkable, just a few years ago. Time also demanded the development of new strategies to bring extra income into the estate, different ways of managing the land, new livestock, open house days. Time saw the end of one way of living and working, which the Crawley family needed to catch on to. They had a choice. Either be real about the effects of time and live and change accordingly, or decline to recognize how time had changed things and live as they had always done, bringing some temporary comfort, perhaps, but inevitably spelling the end of Downton. Well, here in Psalm 90, Moses is also being very real about time. In particular, he's being real about what life is like for transient people under the judgment of an everlasting God. Time is short, says Moses, and life is hard. But for those who trust in the eternal God, there is hope, a place of refuge and lasting heritage and abiding glory. Just like the characters of Downton, we too have a choice, says Moses, when it comes to facing up to the realities of time. Either we be real about the shortness of our days and the hardness of our lives and, in the midst of that, seek God on how to live wisely with the time we do have, or or we live in fantasy land, seek to add to our days instead of numbering them, reject a heart of wisdom for a heart of pride, one that says, I too will live forever. One choice leads to eternal joy and lasting gladness. The other, says the psalmist, to constantly renewed dissatisfaction. So, what are you doing with your time? Are you being real with it? These are good questions, I think, for us, both as individuals, but also as a church at the start of a new year. What are you doing with your time? Are you being real with it? We're going to look at the psalm tonight under just two headings, and they're not even alliterative. Firstly, Eternal God and Transient Man, verses 1 through to 11. And then secondly, Abiding Glory, verses 12 through to the end of the psalm. Now, I wonder if you noticed as we read through the psalm together that it's bookended with words of encouragement. And here, in the opening verses, verse 1, we find the first of those words of encouragement These first verses speak of the eternal nature of God. He was before the beginning and he lasts forever. He is not like our New Year's promises and resolutions. How are you doing with yours? I've already broken mine. I've still not been for a run. He is not passing. He is not fading. He is eternal. And he's not going anywhere. In his goodness This eternal God gives his people a secure dwelling place or refuge. This is a wonderful picture of the care and concern that God shows his people by providing for them a place of eternal. That's the in all generations bit of verse 1. A place of eternal safety. Well, why is this good news? Why is this a wonderful place for our psalmist to set out from? Well, it's good news because much of our human experience is Insecure, isn't it? It's changing, fleeting. So many of the earthly things in which we place our trust change. Families change. Jobs change. Money, health, relationships. Yes, sometimes these changes are for the better. But even the best of these, they do not last, do they? What encouragement then to know that there is one unchanging In whom there is eternal safety, or as Watts puts it in the hymn we sang earlier, a shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. But now a contrast. This is a psalm which is full of contrasts. As God is eternal, so man is transient. He returns to dust. He dies. Verse 3. There are loud echoes here, aren't there, of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 where man and woman rejected God as king and doubted the goodness of his word. And God then passes judgment on them and it's quoted here. Man's days are now numbered. And this is a the theme which the psalmist picks up on. The main thrust of verses three through to six is to make clear the brevity of man's life in comparison to God's eternity. Even those we meet in the scriptures whose lives number many, many years seem fleeting next to God. Even Grand Methuselah's 969 years are but a drop in the ocean of time compared to God's lasting nature. Indeed, says the psalmist, man's life is somewhat like the history of grass that we read at verse 3. Sown, mown, grown, and gone. The psalmist, I'm led to believe, would have had in mind Middle Eastern grasses, which sprung up with such promise at the start of the day, but by the evening were gone. They perished under the heat of the Middle Eastern sun, passing and forgotten like the dream of verse 5. Early promise, but then failure. There's a second contrast at verse 5. I wonder if you saw it as well. God is strong. Man is weak. The power of God is compared to that of a flood, sweeping away man. God is mighty, says the psalmist. And we are vulnerable and frail. Well, why these contrasts? Well, it's because Moses is concerned that we do not live in fantasy land and being real about what we are like, weak and transient, and real about what God is like, strong and eternal. Moses is encouraging his readers to run, run for security in the eternal home, that safe dwelling place we read about in verse 1. Only there, says Moses, only there can we be eternally safe from the flood and from patterns of fading and withering reaching the end of verse 6 we may well be asking ourselves maybe quite justifiably so the question of why why is life like this why is god eternal and man transient well in answering that question moses continues to be refreshingly real and honest he does not leave us feeling around in the dark there is no obscurity here no fog to be worked through no sugar coating life is Fleeting, says Moses, because man is sinful. God is angry because we are sinful. We do not conform to God's best for us, and God takes sin seriously, all of it. The things we do that others see, and the things, verse 7, which happen in secret. Or the bits that we disguise even from ourselves, all of it comes out in the open before a God from whom there are no dark corners to hide in. All is exposed in the light of His presence. I recently finished reading the book Night by Eli Wiesel. I'm not sure in the pronunciation if there are any Germans here this evening, you can correct me afterwards. It's an extraordinary reader, a really slim book, a true story simply told of the reality of life that the author experienced in a concentration camp during the Second World War. Many pages of this short book are very uncomfortable to read because they set out in clear terms the full extent of what man, in the worst excesses of sinfulness, is capable of. You want to put the book down, to push it away, to... Look away, pretend it didn't happen. It's uncomfortable truth. And verses 7 to 11 of our psalm in many ways are just like that. They are uncomfortable truth from which we may wish to turn away. The truth of what life under God's judgment looks like. It's short, verse 10. It's hard, full of toil and trouble. And no matter how many lotions and potions we invest in, no matter what efforts we put into our health or energies into our gym visit, it all ends the same way, with an anticlimax with death. That's the sigh of verse 9 and the returning to dust of verse 3. Now we need to understand this truth, says Moses. If we are to understand life, if we turn away here, if we shut our Bibles, then we will not understand why life is as it is. Because what was true for the psalmist here is true for us also. That shadow of death is a common denominator for the whole of humanity, isn't it? A reminder to us that we are all under the wages the consequences of sin. Now another question. Why is God concerned with our departure from his best for us? Why does he bother to be angry? Now that's a really good question. It's a big question, and we don't have enough time tonight to tackle it effectively, but I hope this might prove a little bit helpful. It's surely a sign. It's surely a sign of God's goodness that he cares enough for us to be concerned with whether or not we are in right relationship with him. It would be a cold and uncaring God indeed, who simply said, well, do whatever you want. Makes no difference to me whether we are in right relationship. Human life, says one preacher, is utterly insignificant, unless it's going to be assessed by the utterly fair and utterly just God. I suppose this chunk of verses communicates something perhaps of what C.S. Lewis was trying to set out when he wrote in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe of Aslan not being safe. I don't know if you remember that scene where the children ask Mr. Beaver whether or not Aslan, that's God, is safe. And Mr. Beaver replies somewhat incredulously, safe, says Mr. Beaver, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. Safe here means tame. He isn't safe. He isn't tame. But he is good. I wonder if you can see the goodness of God even in his judgment. I wonder if you can see the goodness and justness of God even in his anger. Well, what can we do? What can we do in light of this truth about what life is really like, about what God is like, and about the shortness of our time? Moses answers this question as well as he lifts our eyes from the reality of God's judgment to the wonder of his grace. He gives us five practical prayers we can ask of the eternal God at the start of the new year in verses 12 to 17. Now, I'm not saying we need to pray more, but what I'm hoping I am saying is pray pray better. Here are some better ways that we can pray individually as a church at the start of the new year. So firstly, verse 12, we need God to teach us to get our priorities right. Verse 12, in many ways, is the key verse of this psalm, the response to everything that has come before we need to fear the Lord, that is to obey him, revere him. That's what the writer of the Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? Fear of the Lord. To learn to make the most of our days by doing that, not seeking to add to them or to live in ignorance of what life is really like, but to seek godly wisdom on how best to use our time. A second prayer at verse 13, a prayer for God to turn, that's what return means here, to turn from his course of judgment, to relent. Now, this is a prayer rooted in the wisdom of verse 12, isn't it? The foolish person prays for more days. What does the wise person pray? He prays that the Lord would have mercy because he recognizes that that is what he needs most. verse 14, a third prayer, this time for a better morning, a very different kind of morning, a prayer looking to be rooted in the Lord, to be satisfied by his steadfast love at the start of the day. This brings, says the psalmist, lasting joy. There is no withering here. There is no fading for the one who prays to be rooted in the steadfast love of the eternal God. Our fourth prayer is one for gladness. Verse 15. Here, Moses draws upon his own experiences and that of God's people. Again, refreshing reality, isn't it, about the trials of life. The Bible is full of refreshing reality like that. That's why it's such a hard read sometimes. Moses And God's people, the Israelites, knew all too well what suffering was like. Years of affliction wandering in the desert, which came after 400 years under the yoke of slavery in Egypt. And here, in verse 15, Moses is praying for a balancing out. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many days as we have suffered, And of course, because God is gracious and merciful, he does far more than that. Paul would later write in Romans chapter 8 that our present sufferings are nothing, nothing compared to the eternal glory that is to come. There will not be a balancing out exercise, but a making of things even better than we could possibly imagine. Now, there's real hope here, and that's important to hold on to at the start of a new year. I don't know about you, but for many, the 3rd of January 2016 brings the exact same struggles, stresses, worries, sense of loss, as December the 31st, 2015. The the year has changed, the date is different, but... Not much else has changed. Well, if that's you, then pray this prayer. Pray this prayer to our God of steadfast love, knowing that there is real, eternal, lasting hope for the believer when faced with all kinds of trials. What was true for Moses is also true for us. Now, the final two verses of our psalm contrast what is perishable, which is a pattern of verses 3 to 12, with what is imperishable, that abiding glory of God, that lasting heritage. God's work, his lasting work, verse 16, is most clearly seen where? Well, it's most clearly seen in the Lord Jesus. Where is the anger? And the wrath of verses 7 to 11 dealt with for the believer. Where is the pattern of fading and perishing finished for the believer? At the cross. That's where God's anger is dealt with for the believer. That's where the judgment is finished. Done. And the Bible tells us all too clearly that the fruit of that work, that work of glorious power, the fruit of that work is lasting for all eternity. Our psalm ends with a final prayer in verse 17. And it's a very practical one. Asking the Lord to establish the work of our hands, to make us successful in what we are doing. That's what the ESV means here, to make us successful in what we are doing. What a wonderful prayer for us as a church at the start of a new year as we go about work which will not be wasted. Why? Because it is the Lord's work. We are seeking success in it from him. We hard can't at doing God's work sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes you ever feel maybe it's just me, do you ever feel like it's not going anywhere? You feel like you're throwing the gospel out there, you're teaching it, you're telling it, but you're not sure if much is happening. And you're wondering, is this lasting? Is there any success in this work? Well the Psalms says yes. In fact, the whole Bible says yes. Later, Paul would write in First Corinthians that labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. So can we be praying and asking for God's help and his favour with all that we're doing here in Chalmers at the start of a new year, for success in that, for gospel projects and quench events, for courses exploring Mark, investigating Christianity courses, for what goes on at Impact or in our youth groups or our Sunday schools, or other work that the church gets involved with, SU holidays and SU groups, contagious events. And what about the work too in, in your workplace, in the office on Tuesday morning after you go back, or earlier if you don't have the bank holiday? Conversations with colleagues, with peers, fellow students. This is a prayer for our work, his work, to be lasting work. Five really practical things for the Christian to pray at the start of a new year. Well, we started this evening with two ways to use our time, kind of like two ways to live, I suppose, either to be real about the shortness of our days and the hardness of our lives, and in the midst of that, seek God on how to live wisely in the time that we do have, or to live in a kind of fantasy land, to seek to add to our days instead of numbering them, rejecting a heart of wisdom for a heart of pride. How will you live? And what will you pray in this year that lies ahead? Will you be real about your time, about what God is like, about what we are like, and our desperate need of him? And will you say, with the same security and certainty of the psalmist, in the face of all that the year ahead is going to hold, all the joy and all the mess as well, will you say, Lord, you are my dwelling place, my eternal home. You know, there's no safer place, no safer place to be at the start, middle, end of the year for God's people and safely in the dwelling place that is the Lord himself. Let's pray and ask for God's help to do just that in the year ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words of the psalmist and we thank you, Lord, that it tells us clearly here what you are really like, of our real need of you as transient people before an eternal God. We thank you too, Lord, for the prayers that the psalmist gives us. And we ask for your help, Lord, to do what he sets out in verse 12, to number our days and to seek wisdom from you On how to use our time best. Both in the week, months and also in the years ahead, Father. We ask for your discernment, wisdom and guidance to do that. And we ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Through whom we are safe from that anger and that judgment. And praise you for that, Lord. And we ask that in your name. Amen.